Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome to today's Jewelry Navigator podcast. This week, I have a really special treat for you. It's not one guest, it's several guests. What I've done is pulled sections and segments and little snippets from the podcasts featuring a few of the designers that I've featured in the podcasts, and they've told their full story in the podcast, which you can go back and listen to, but I felt like this was perfect for this week and the month actually, but tomorrow is March 8th and it's International Women's Day. I really feel that this is an exciting time to be a woman in the jewelry industry. There's a lot more opportunity and it shows a lot in the shows that I've been going to. More and more women are excelling as designers and I think that we recognize that and we gravitate towards that because they being women, they know what we like, they know what we want, and we want to support each other. So it's a really exciting time to be a woman in the industry. I could only fit so many, just forewarned, this is a longer episode than normal because I wanted to fit (laughs) so many of the designers in, but I had to kind of cut it off at some point. But you can go back and listen to any episode you want whether it's on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and be sure that you subscribe so that you can always keep updated. And in the future, I'll have some really fun and exciting giveaways and more interesting stories. So make sure that you're subscribing. This month is really special because I realize that not all women get the opportunities that we do here in the U.S. There is certainly more work to do and The road to opportunity and equality is definitely steeper in most other countries, but I feel like if we strive to support each other and support women everywhere, we'll get there. And it's just really exciting. And I like to do my part by sharing inspiration of the women who've gone before us and who have been courageous. And I just want to thank every woman in the industry who has stood her ground, nurtured her vision and picked herself back up when discouraged or doubtful. So I invite you to hear these stories, little parts of them. Some of them are teasers, so you'll need to go back and listen to the original episodes. But thank you so much, and welcome aboard. To make it easy, what I've done is 
All of the guests or the snippets are in the order that the podcasts were published. The first one is my guest and friend, Christy Shimke of Crash Jewelry. You've probably seen me post a lot of her jewelry. It's a really interesting line. She's very creative and she makes jewelry from luxury cars. Well, thank Did you. Did you ever think that you'd be making jewelry from cars? No. <laughs> I bet you never thought that you never would. Never in a million years. <laughs> it was just one of those those things that happen in life, I guess. You know, it's um, it's definitely a point where my husband's career and mine merges. I guess. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about rivets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, no, I never, I never, ever thought that this is what I would be doing, ever. <laughs> right, right. What inspired you to start making jewelry from the car parts? Well, I was making jewelry, mostly silver, doing silversmithing, and uh, at my studio was in one of my husband's um, garages at the body shop. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, like everybody else, I was sort of struggling with uh, the rising metal prices and struggling to be a small business with um, and, and competing against, for example, you know, all the sellers on Etsy who, and, and also overseas, who can sell things in bulk and at a lower price point. And I was just, you know, I was getting really discouraged by, by this turn of events in the economy at the time. And I, I just was looking around the garage at all these, you know, beautiful cars, you know, Bentleys and Maseratis and Mercedes, and thinking, you know, it just was an idea. Like, I wonder if I could do something with this car metal. And I, actually, I had been to uh, an art opening a couple of weeks before that and had seen an artist named Scott McMillan who went around and collected car metal and made collages from it. Like, he would uh, weld it together. And my friend and I were sort of joking, like, hey, you should, you should make jewelry out of car metal and so that was in the back of my mind I guess and so it's like I said it just sort of started as an idea and then I just made it happen. Have you always been making jewelry? What did you do before you started Crash Jewelry? You said that you were metalsmithing or silver. Well actually so I mean my whole life I've been making things and you know even as a kid I was making jewelry and selling it you know to my friends. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, no, actually my background is in art history. And, um, so I worked for a number of years at, um, the Getty Museum and then I also worked at UCLA. So I was more in education and the museum world. And then sort of midlife, I took some metalsmithing courses and just discovered that I had this real passion for it. And... You know, it was just one of those things where a light bulb went off, and you said, "This is, you know, I, this is what I want to do, and, and how can I make it, you know, pay a little bit as well?" Right, right. Well, it's just so genius that you were able to put um, put together the parts available in your husband's auto shop and jewelry. Well, what advice would you have for new artists 
folks who have innovative ideas like yours, especially women breaking into the jewelry industry? I mean, I was sort of looking, I think, for a way to be different. Um, so, I mean, if there's any way at all possible, you, you know, you can sort of think outside the box. Um, I think that helps from, a, a, you know, a business standpoint. I mean, obviously you should do what you love, um, but if you're trying to make a living at it, I, I do think you sort of have to, you know, think about how, how can I be different from, from everybody else? You know, what is, what is my message here? What, what mm-hmm. will appeal to people? My, you know, if you can sort of figure out who your demographic is, who, uh, who your customer is, that's, that's super important. Um, and I think one of the things that I've learned most is not to listen to everybody <laughs> that, you know, everybody has an opinion. And um, in the beginning, I would really take it to heart and, you know, and feel like I had to, to, to think about it and talk to that person about it and, and give it a shot, you know. And, um, and then at the end of the day, I just realized, you know, not, I mean, after a few years, that, that I know better going forward. You know, I know, I know what I'm doing. I, I know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Once again, that was Christy Shimke of Crash Jewelry, and you can find her jewelry on her website, Crash Jewelry. She's also featured in my online shop on Jewelry Navigator. Our next guest, I've been following them for quite a while because, as you might know already, I love colored gemstones. Being a gemologist, of course, that's my place, but I'm really gravitated towards color. And California Girl Jewelry is a mother-daughter team. I love their story, and here's the daughter of the team, Denise Forbes. We're a boutique inside of a a beautiful Art Deco building, and um, we have all of our jewelry here. We do our custom design. We have our loose gems here. We're full service, and we serve champagne. That's what I was going to ask you. That sounds so much fun. So if we were to walk into California Girl Jewelry Studio for Mm -hmm. something special, take us from the time we would walk through the door to leaving with a new sparkly treasure. Well, we're always excited when we have a walk-in client, not a, um, an appointment. And so a lot of times I just kind of get up and introduce myself and ask if there's anything that they're looking for. A lot of times they find us on Yelp. And so they have something in mind, whether it be an engagement ring or um, a piece of jewelry or they've seen online that they want to come in and check out. And I will show them what they're looking for and then I'll kind of get an idea of what their taste is and start to introduce other pieces of jewelry that they might not know about. You know, right now we are so in love with spinels. I try to mention spinels to everybody because they're really special gemstones. And usually during this time you can hear a pop and my partner has opened a bottle of either rosé or sparkling. We always ask what they want. And so you drink, I drink. So it's, it's kind of nicer, it's more relaxed, and it's, it's, it's that kind of environment. It's one-on-one. There's a lot to know about colored gemstones. So there's that 
you know, interaction that we're going to have where I'm going to tell you all the cool things. And we also have some easy chairs so that if you have someone with you that's not interested, uh, they can um, sit down and and read a book and also have a glass of champagne. Um, And so then we just start with either we're going to do some sort of custom piece for you and we talk about what that process is like, or we start trying on jewelry and getting to know each other. No, we're like that because I think a lot of it is, you know, we're mother, daughter, I'm a mother. So when you're, when you're, when you have a business like that and you're selling a product that you make, that you're proud of, that is a piece of you, that's your passion, that's also, you know, it's, it's more expensive than going out to dinner. So it's, it's more of an investment. It's a big investment for some people. We want to make sure that you feel comfortable with us. You understand what you're, you're buying, what the value is, and that you know that we stand by our jewelry. So if a little diamond falls out, bring it back to us. We will replace it. Sizes go up and down. We do free sizing no matter how many times you need it. Anything happens, we will make it new again. Um, and we really try to create this environment that it's not intimidating. You should know what you're purchasing. I would want to know. Right. And uh, most people do want to know now. And they can walk away with a piece of jewelry where not only do they know it's beautiful, they know it's going to hold up. And they're excited because they do know they're more educated about the stone and they can tell their friends about it. And then they get excited about it. And I think that's part of the just the entire excitement that spreads from jewelry is how beautiful the gemstones are. And, And, you know, ours are so kind of interesting, like we have a lot of dichroic stones, which are two colors, you know, or their color change, that they turn heads. And we we use colorless diamonds, and they're full cut, even if they're smaller, because it's going to sparkle, and it's going to turn heads. You're not going to stop looking at that piece of jewelry. And that's going to gender some questions. So we want you, people are always asked, what kind of gemstone is that? What gemstone is that? And we want you to be able to tell them what gemstone it is. Um, Do you have any exciting new stones that we should look for coming up on the websites? We have, sure, we have a beautiful red sunstone that's all shiller. Shiller is natural occurring copper that's shaped like a a platelet shape, and the sun um, and light reflect wonderfully off of it. Um, We also have, you know, I've been posting a lot of these uh, purple pearls. It's a new find. They're amethyst, but they kind of look like a sparkly opal. And our, our coolest, newest is a Bikili color change garnet. Uh-huh. And Bikili is known for this particular pocket of garnets. For many, many years, people thought garnets didn't come in blue, every color but blue. Meanwhile, as a consumer, prior to really getting into the business and going to school, I thought garnets was just the maroon sort of garnet that you're used to seeing. But they come in every color, and garnets are great because they have a high dispersion. They're very sparkly, and they're hard. So we have this beautiful color change garnet, and the I posted it once, the color change. It's hard to capture in my boutique, the color changes, but it is spectacular, and it's rare. 
So that's going to be that's going to be pretty much our most expensive piece when it comes out. But you know what? It's usually we price to sell because we want to we want someone to have this beautiful piece of jewelry and we're going to make a new one. Several of the designers that I feature I've met at jewelry shows. The first jewelry show I went to was last February 2018 to the Metal and Smith show. And I met this designer there. Her jewelry is truly unique, and of course, that's what drew me to her. Samantha Jackson from Episode 14, The Virtues of Heavenly Vices, Fine Jewelry with Samantha Jackson. When you see something that you love, or you put something on for the first time, or someone gives you something to commemorate an important moment in your life, it really is heavenly. I started Heavenly Vices with a long-term plan to fund more effective programs for animal overpopulation. That was Samantha Jackson, founder of Heavenly Vices Fine Jewelry. I first met Samantha and her jewelry line, Heavenly Vices Fine Jewelry, at the Metal and Smith 2018 Winter Edit in New York City. Thanks so much for joining me, Samantha. If you haven't seen her jewelry, it's really unique and unusual. And I'm going to have her tell us more about what inspires her to make the jewelry. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I actually have loved jewelry for as long as I have, as long as I can remember. Um, my grandmother had some beautiful rings that I always just, every time I went over to her house, I asked her if I could wear them. And it's truly something that I have always just had a tremendous passion for. I never really thought that this was something that I could do. Um, and when I had the opportunity to actually start doing this, it was something that was very exciting for me. And uh, here I am three years later. I grew up in New Orleans. It's a place where you're constantly surrounded by not only beauty, but also by history. And so those two things are something that I incorporate in multiple ways in all of my jewelry, either by the use of some uh, antique items like the love tokens that I use, which are antique coins that people have taken out of circulation and embellished with engravings or enamel. Um, I have a lot of those that I use in my collection. Everything I make, there's some thread back to my childhood in New Orleans. What's the meaning behind Heavenly Vices? It's kind of a contradictory double <laughs> double meaning. Tell us where that comes from. Well, jewelry is heavenly, and it's also a vice. And I just kind of... I. I wanted a name that had a little bit of irreverence because my personality can be a little bit irreverent, and also I feel like some of the things that we do and celebrate New Orleans are a little bit irreverent, mm -hmm. but I also um, wanted something that sort of describes, you know, what's it like to, to love jewelry, and it's kind of an obsession, and you never have enough, and so in that sense, it's a bit of a vice. But when you see something that you love or you put something on for the first time or someone gives you something to commemorate an important moment in your life, um, it really is heavenly. Um, it's just a, for jewelry lovers, it's just a wonderful experience to see things and touch things and feel things and own things. And 
you know, like my grandmother's rings, for example, I, I look at, you know, I look at her hands and I can still visualize her, her rings. And it's just a touch point to something that's really special. What are some of your favorite pieces? I'm really partial to my love tokens. I sort of don't even really remember how I stumbled upon them a couple of years ago, but I've been collecting them for about three years. And I love the techniques that were used in the past. I mean, everything is hand engraved, which is truly a lost art. You know, that I have some that I would love to know the, the story behind. I have one that says pickles. I have one that says stories, which I actually love that because I come from a long line of storytellers. Um, my grandmother was a big storyteller. I actually am a writer in my other non-free time. Um, <laughs> so I love getting, I love finding something that said stories. Um, and I just, you know, I, I like the fact that you have these beautiful things that were made many years ago and they're, they've just been sitting who knows where, um, accumulating a huge amount of tarnish that I have to clean. But I love having these kind of bringing them back, breathing new life into these. And I have a person who actually I'm in the process of setting a little love token that says mama and she's a new mom. And obviously this coin was probably, you know, in the late 1800s was given to someone who was a new mom. And I just like the fact that we can kind of continue the life of these beautiful, you know, artifacts from the past and they were someone's story before, and they'll be someone's story, you know, now. And this person will hopefully wear this necklace for many years to come and maybe, you know, hand it down to her daughter when she has a child. I just love that sort of continuity of purpose for these, these beautiful things that would otherwise be in someone's safe or melted down for metal. So those are, those are really my favorites. I realize I didn't say the last two episodes, so let me just backtrack a little bit. For Christy Shimke's episode, she I think she was the third episode, but that's titled Q&A with Chris, I'm sorry, Q&A with Crash Jewelry founder Christy Shimke. And the second one with Denise Forbes of California Girl Jewelry is episode 10, Champagne, Rare Gemstones, and Jewelry with Denise Forbes of California Girl Jewelry. Okay, so let's move on. The next guest is Deborah Halpern. I met her at the JA show last summer, and her line is May Came Home. It's an interesting story, so here's a little snippet, and be sure to go back and listen to her episode for her full story. It's episode 19, entitled Fun and Colorful Jewelry of May Came Home with Deborah Halpern. I actually went to music and art high school in New York City. I'm a native New Yorker and then studied art in college. And when I first got out of school, I was working at just, you know, a regular office job and was not too happy. So I started taking classes and I had wanted to take a hat making class at FIT, but for whatever reason it was closed. And I said, oh, all right, I'll take jewelry. And that kind of began my journey. Um, so I took classes at FIT. I studied with um, Anthony Lent, was my first jewelry teacher. Sandra Boucher was my jewelry design teacher and uh, several others. Um, and then I took classes at 
it's now called Jewelry Arts Institute, but at the time it was called Culex Dark Academy, and they kind of taught granulation and some enameling, although they did cloisonne enamel, so that was a kind of my introduction to the technique. Um, and then I decided, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I was walking in Soho with my mom where we lived, and I saw a sign in the window of the Robert Lee Morris store artware mm-hmm. for a bench jeweler. So I went, I took a test, passed the test, and became a bench jeweler at Robert Lee Morris. So that was my uh, entree into the professional jewelry world. This is perfect because it gives me um, a, a better picture background. of yeah, of your yeah. background, and to know that you are a bench jeweler mm-hmm. is is makes makes your line even more special because you really oh. do understand the construction of jewelry. Oh, and totally. Yes, yes. I, I also okay. just after working in the jewelry trade, I had another line, but just. In addition to being a bench jeweler, I also have a degree in graphic design from Pratt, and so I've merged my computer skills with my bench jeweler skills, and I do all the model making in CAD for the pieces in the line. So it's helpful to know how to make jewelry in order to design it. For me, um, you know, I love making things, and I loved making the enamel, and you know, the kind of hands-on process, but I found it very frustrating that things kind of never came out, like, perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> the beauty of doing it on the computer is that it's perfect. So that just, I think that is more of an aesthetic choice because I know there are a lot of jewelers that really, and I, you know, as a, as a jewelry lover, love to see the handwork and you know there are people who definitely do work that's way more organic than mine but for me it's all about color and shape and so it is a very graphic line so I don't know which comes first Uh but um, you know I also I have a lot of collections and um, one of the things I do collect are vintage travel posters like from the 60s and they're incredibly bright and colorful and they're all throughout my apartment so there's something about that you know that translates into the jewelry for me for me I think it was a good transition and I actually kind of did it in a backwards way I started out as a maker and then transitioned to being a you know to being a graphic designer Uh Um, so kind of this line merges both uh, strands of my artistic trajectory I guess you would say what an interesting path to go from you know one to another and then back again which is so cool but in these days it's so easy to be able to do that especially with with all of the advancements in the CAD CAM and I can see how that would be perfect for your designs because they are so geometric. Have you always been drawn to color? Because your line is, is so colorful. I think one of my favorite pieces that you do, I love all of them, but is the color wheel with all the gemstones on the yeah, outside. Yeah, brand new. Yeah. Um, have I always been drawn? Yes. I mean, I've always loved bold jewelry. I am not like a flashy dresser, so I always feel like as long as you have a fabulous piece of jewelry on, like it makes your outfit kind of. So I definitely am drawn to 
bright colors and kind of off-color combinations, if that makes any sense to you. I mean, there's lots of beautiful, serious jewelry, and I totally, you know, would be happy to have any of it. (laughs) But for me, I just like to make something that's fun and happy and not serious. And I guess that does go along with my aesthetic. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but Mm -hmm. I I do love color. Well, it kind of all ties back to and comes around full circle to to your name. May came home, and it's so playful and happy and joyful. I can definitely see how that all comes together in your jewelry. Yes, and also um, with that particular poem, it's kind of this idea that if you find a piece of jewelry that you love, be it you know a piece that somebody gave you or you found in a thrift shop or you bought in a store, to me, it's that personal adornment is all about expressing yourself and that's what I love about that poem it's like whatever you find express you know is an expression of who you are so Mm -hmm. I feel like you know I like that's why I offer so many different color combinations or you know a lot of pieces are two-sided so that you can you know you can mix it with other pieces you can make it your own even though it's very distinctive I feel Mm -hmm. like it goes kind of with other staples you might have in your wardrobe. What I love about so many of these women's stories is that jewelry was not their first career. A lot of them started out in other professions, and they've actually been able to apply a lot of their skills and knowledge and wisdom, either from experience or the other careers that they've had, to their current career in jewelry or their design ideas. The next story that I'm going to share with you is a story about a woman who is a full-time architect, but also a jewelry designer. And this is about Emily Minton. Her line of jewelry is named for her, Minton. And here's a little bit of her story. And it's from episode 25, The Architectural Jewelry of Minton with architect and jewelry designer Emily Minton. I really kind of started getting more and more into fashion and it was kind of like tipping the scales then where when I was sitting in class and I'd be looking at architecture and I'd be thinking of it as, oh, a piece of jewelry or something else other than architecture. So that's kind of when those thoughts really started to happen for me and it just really grew from there. And after my undergrad in Nebraska, I went on to get my master's in Tampa at USF And I was there for three years, and for my final year, I had my thesis year. And I was thinking the summer before what I was going to do for my thesis year, and I had this lofty idea, like, what if I really did do my jewelry? And I'm, like, thinking, like, will people think it's legit, or will professors, like, laugh at it or, you know, not take me seriously? Um, but I ended up deciding to do it and I had a thesis chair advisor who really supported me and he's very kind of unique and different and kind of doing something on his own. So I was glad I was paired with him to guide me through that year, but I decided to make jewelry out of concrete. Mm -hmm. So using a, using an architectural material like that was kind of really how I tied, tied it together initially, but I really see my jewelry as architectural concepts. Every time I create a piece, I always actually think of it as architecture as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then vice versa. When I look at architecture, I see jewelry. So I always have that kind of comparison between the two. And once I did that whole thesis year, honestly, that was just, I knew without any doubt in my mind, that's, I wanted to make jewelry. So I, I honestly, I thought that I would be doing architecture for maybe two years out of school, and then I'd have my jewelry thing going. But here now it's been seven, <laughs> and I'm still doing architecture. <laughs> so you are still doing architecture. Yes. So I do that full-time, actually. I, I practice here in Baltimore at a firm, mm-hmm. and I've been at the firm uh, for six years now, ever since I moved to Baltimore. And they're really fantastic in supporting me in my dreams. They know I want to do jewelry, and they've, they've really helped me a lot. And even, like, this week when I was in New York, you know, they were, they were like, yes, Emily, go, you know, do this jewelry thing and let me work remotely from there. That is so but, cool that you're able to do both. Yeah, and honestly, my, my ultimate goal, which, you know, they know as well, I really do want to do jewelry full-time. So I think it'll get interesting here once I really start to make the switch. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> to, to make it work. But, yeah, so my, my, my nights and my weekends are reserved for jewelry, and then my day job is architecture. So <laughs> my personal <laughs> wow. life is at a zero. <laughs> I was going to say, like, where do you fit all of this in? It's crazy. And then oh, what... What some people may not realize when they visit your site, you are the model for everything. Yeah. I yeah, actually I think that's so cool. I didn't realize that un, until after I got home and I'm looking yeah. at the pictures. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that girl looks like, oh, my gosh, that's her. She's doing everything. But you fit into it so well. Did you oh, model you. professionally before? I mean, I didn't know anybody, and I didn't know anything about anything. <laughs> and when I did my first medal in Smith in February, when I met you, mm-hmm. that was the first anything I'd ever done, which is crazy to think that was the beginning of this year. Yeah. Um, but I kind of expected, which is me not knowing anything, going to New York for this, I really expected everything and everyone to be very like hoity-toity <laughs> but but my biggest surprise has just been that everyone's been so fantastic including the other designers yeah and it's really the other designers who have helped me learn and you know given me contacts in the industry and really helped lift me up um I know you know uh Samantha Jackson from yes. Heaven's Prices uh-huh. and she's she's been one of them as well who's kind of been there to help me out and we ask each other questions and <laughs> trade advice. Yeah. Well, I think it's so exciting to see um, not only really new innovative jewelry designs like you and Heavenly Vices and all the other designers that were at Metal and Smith, but I also, what's so exciting is to see so many women coming into the industry. Oh, yes. Honestly, yeah, that's a a really great point. Emily Minton is also featured in Jewelry Navigator Shop. You can also find her on Minton. That's Minton.com, I believe. I'll have these notes in the show notes and the blog post in the upcoming few days. But her jewelry is just so cool and so unique. I had her make one of her signature necklaces that says jewelry on one side and navigator on the other. 
she'll custom make things like that. So go be sure to check her out. The next guest, her name is also Emily, and I met her at the JA show this past summer, but the episode is number 26, and it's Emily Coven's Jewelry Designs, Our Shining Stars. I've really enjoyed getting to know Emily more through the past few months, and I'm sure it's no surprise that I chose to highlight her as one of the women featured in this podcast. She's intelligent, strong, and compassionate, and has a talent for interpreting classic designs into more modern and current-day interpretation for women of all ages. She's also one of the featured designers in the Jewelry Navigator shop, and you can find her on her website as well, and that's emilycoven.com. In fact, I didn't know that when you traveled that you were supposed to do something other than go to a museum. I thought that was all you did <laughs> when you went somewhere. Um, <clears throat> so, so with that, I, I was sort of a traditional student, but I made a lot of jewelry in high school. Simple things. I used to string beads on dental floss, and I made, but I, I was known amongst my friends for making very um, just fun and creative and easy-to-wear necklaces and bracelets uh, using very interesting color combinations. And I still really pride myself on my color combinations. I like to think that they're unusual but not jarring. I mean, they're very wearable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went through school and I went to college and I double majored in English and history. And frankly, as soon as I got there, sort of stopped beating and got caught up in what I was doing. I also did a lot of theater and then I went to journalism uh, grad school and got my master's and I worked as a broadcast journalist, uh, which seemed to pull together a lot of the English and history and the performance element from theater because I was uh, on air news anchor and reporter. And then at some point decided that I really needed uh, an intellectual kick in the pants and went to law school. Loved law school as an intellectual exercise. The practice of law was not quite as compelling, um, although I did go back and and work as a correspondent for Court TV in the mid-'90s in the heyday of televised trials. Uh, I got there right as the O.J. Simpson trial was wrapping up, and I covered the Menendez brothers' sentencing and a lot of famous uh, criminal trials. and then I got married and, and moved to Boston and started a family and worked in-house in financial services as an attorney for a few years and uh, went over to the nonprofit side of uh, a big investment company because I felt I could contribute more that way. I wanted to to feel a little better about the work I was doing. And, and so I, ha- I was in nonprofit communications, fundraising communications for about 10 years. Along the way, I I rediscovered my passion for jewelry as my kids got a little older and I found that I had (laughs) just a little bit more time on my hands. (laughs) Um, I don't want to exaggerate that, but I incorporated my business and basically started selling to to people I knew. And then about two or three years ago, decided that the time had come to really jump into this with with both feet. And I've been going full steam for the past couple of years in, in my jewelry business. Oh, wow. You've really had an interesting background. And when we first met, I I loved hearing about your background. And I think it's so interesting how so many people are coming into different aspects of design businesses, especially jewelry design, with backgrounds in all kinds of 
you know, former avenues, professional and trade. And it's so interesting to see what they bring to the table and how that translates into their jewelry design and what kind of experiences they brought from it. And I was going to ask this a little bit later, but your background is so intriguing. Do you find that a lot of the experience that you had professionally do you find that you're able to use a lot of your, your background in your jewelry business? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, as someone who has changed careers a few times and, and once in a while <laughs> I get a quizzical look, you went from this to that, how did you do that? But every, nothing is wasted. You know, everything leads to something else. And I think that we learn from every single experience and build upon it professionally and personally as we go through life. As an attorney, you dive deep. You know, you have to go really deep. You have to be very detail-oriented. You have to understand um, an issue from all angles. And I think that informs everything I do as well. So that combination of learning to learning something new every day and yet appreciating different perspectives, different sides of things, even if it's like physically looking at a jewelry from all sides, physically and mechanically looking at a piece of jewelry, or aesthetically, well, how is this going to look in this context or that context or, or with this combination? I think both of those sort of salient characteristics of, of, journal, of both journalism and law inform my jewelry business. Oh, wow. Yeah, that really wraps it all together. Your your designs are so interesting. I think the the one that caught my my uh, eye first was your Stella collection, and that's your signature kapow. And if nobody knows what we're talking about, those comic strip um, graphics when you know the bad guys get punched in the face, <laughs> just that big right. kapow on on the comic strip. That's what her Stella collection looks like. But of course, it's a lot prettier than a comic strip graphic because it has gemstones in it. Um, What was the inspiration for your Stella and your mini Stella collection? You know, it's, it sounds hard to believe, but I, I honestly woke up one morning with that design in my head and I drew it Mm -hmm. and it obviously it took some refining and, you know, I, I worked with um, someone to make it, the mechanics work and how many how many points exactly and how we should scatter the diamonds although that actually that was on my first sketch um I don't I don't usually or often you know wake up with an idea fully formed like Athena popping out of Zeus's head or something but um this one really just came to me but clearly it's inspired by the sun and stars. It looks like a, a sunburst. And then I also have that tongue-in-cheek nod, as you mentioned, to the old comic book, Kapow, mm-hmm. which I thought was just always a great, like, take that, you know, and <laughs> in sort of a, a fun, harmless way. So so it reminds me, you know, of, of the celestial bodies and things that are just so much bigger than us and beyond our comprehension. And yet at the same time, it's a kind of fun little girl power kind of thing. Take that. Um, so the comic books and artist Roy Lichtenstein, who used the comic book images in his art, I find a lot of inspiration for the Stella collection. Okay. Well, I love how that all ties in, especially to, um, 
you know, empowering women and young girls. Yep. And it, I feel like your designs encompass a wide reach of age and interest. Mm-hmm. And the Stella and the Mini Stella collections, I think, are perfect because they can be dressed up or down. And I really feel that they qualify for any gift occasion, especially for like a graduation gift or even, um, I hate calling them this, but I call them like new person <laughs> gifts, new new baby <laughs> gifts for the mom. I can't yeah, say, I cannot yeah. say the push present. It's just, it no. just grosses me out. I just can't. It's gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. It's a new baby for the mom gift. It's a mom gift. Um, I think, gift. Yeah. yeah. So I think your Stella collections are perfect for that. Um, and knowing that it, revolves more around the designs of the sun and stars that's what makes so much more sense especially since they're named Stella mm-hmm. exactly. yeah. so and of course the name came from you know I'm a, I'm a classicist at heart so Stella meaning star in Latin and then I just sort of mix it all up Stellina yeah. little star in Italian and then mini Stella is just plain English but you know it's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> The next designer that I featured in the podcast is Julie Lamb, and this couldn't be better timing because she's actually getting ready to show in the JA show, which is next week and starts March 8th, I believe, maybe March 7th, but I'm going to do my best to get there because I promised her, and her jewelry is truly unique. I love her story, so here's Julie Lamb, and you can find her episode I don't remember the episode number, but it's the fun versatility of Julie Lamb fine jewelry with Julie Lamb. Mm-hmm. So there was like a, you know some little art test, and I showed a portfolio and fine. So I had to go on the subway and in bus and all this for an hour and fifteen minutes to leave <laughs> deep Brooklyn to go into oh, Midtown. Wow. Yeah, 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 with a giant portfolio and a book bag. And, like, I probably weighed half of what I do now, like a little tiny person <laughs> with, like, all this, like a T-square hanging out of your backpack, you know. Um, <laughs> crazy. So um, so it was, like, you know, commuting to high school, but I was an illustration major there. So it was, um, formerly it was, like, a commercial art school. So maybe, I don't know, back in the day, like maybe in the seventies or something, you'd probably go to this school and get like your degree in advertising design and illustration and stuff like that and go get a job. So that was like their background. So this was all 2d. And so I did, I was in illustration. Um, I still draw for money. Like I call it drawing for dollars when I do a freelance drawing for people. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Drawing for dollars. I was drawing there, but it wasn't, I wasn't so in love with it. Um, and I just started with a friend just making jewelry after school. So this uh, best friend of mine lived in the village. So she's like, let's go to Canal Street. And we would buy like all little tiny bits of lucite and acrylic and plastic parts and Pearl Paint down there at the time had a bead and craft section, so there's a ton of stuff there to buy and play with. And there was that clay you can bake in the oven, and there's, like, leather cord and beads and rhinestones and whatever. And we'd also go to the garment district, and that was more beads and stringing and all kinds of things we can get our hands on. So we pretty much, like, after school would make all kinds of stuff. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, this is what I can do with just gluing things together or baking the clay or, you know, 
Uh, so it was everything except metal and soldering, you know what I mean? So, okay. <laughs> but I decided, I, like, that was it. Like, I was going to, I was so in love with making jewelry. I, so I only looked at colleges that had a program, and I ended up at uh, Syracuse in, a, in metal smithing. What inspired you to do your collections? You have a really cool variety of collections. Well, first of all, your lamb inspired <laughs> um, yeah. The U collection, E-W-E, yep. that's really cute. How did you come up with that? I mean, besides also, being your last name. All the collections, and I've had people, some people tell me, I'm confusing. I'm all over the place. Why do I have superpowers and manhole covers and sheep? Okay. Uh. So my career has been in bigger companies, right? So I'm used to merchandising. Um, let's say I was selling, you know, I'm at Nine West and I'm selling, Macy's is coming in for market week. You know, we did all the categories. So we had social that was sparkly that she's going to wear to prom and wedding. And then we have uh, all metal and then we have metal and leather. And, you know, we had five categories. So like mm-hmm. I wanted to have, if you don't get the sheep and you buy color stones, you have Metropolis. If you don't, you know, whatever. I wanted to have a variety. Like I'm a jewelry store and I have a breadth of an assortment and what I am petrified of, which is what the industry seems to demand is what's your look. What is your David Yerman cable? What is the pattern that you put on every single piece that I can identify you? Mm-hmm. And, and that. I know it's important for standing out and being recognized in your jewelry when your jewelry is not with you and it's in a random store. Mm-hmm. But to, for me to commit my creativity to one style is like death. And I, mm-hmm. I can't slash won't do it. So did I make it hard for myself or did I, in my opinion, I gave myself avenues in which I can design into and I'm not going to get bored but, you know, I also made it hard because I have X amount of messages coming out of my mouth. But anyway. <laughs> I don't see it that way. I see you. I Thank see you. that as versatility. And um, I see it as personality and unique. That's that's the message I want to pass along, too, is there's Multiple so... personality. <laughs> and that's okay too. <laughs> that's that's true. I said okay too. It's okay. Um, so much of the jewelry that is out there, it all looks the same, and I get so bored. Um, and I yeah. shouldn't. I shouldn't try to you know uh, project my what my beliefs are, what my feelings are. But I guess I'm. I just try to gravitate or have people gravitate towards me who don't want to look like everybody else and unique uh, right yeah yeah and um that's what i love about your collections is because you're not limited to just one thing you're not limited to your metropolis or your city collection the um the bu collection is so it's so cute i love i love the little lambs and um it's, you know, it's like a whimsical side and then, you know, a more sophisticated side. So I think you're really, I, it's such a well-balanced collection. My last guest is one of the most recent podcasts, and I've actually touched on their new company twice in the last two episodes, but it's kind of near and dear to my heart because what they're doing for the gem and jewelry industry 
it's it really hasn't been done yet, and they're making strong headway in the ways of ethical sourcing and making sure that the people at the source are taken care of. It's Rachel Derry of Gem Legacy. Her parents and herself started Gem Legacy, and I was lucky enough to be at the launch party this past February, just a few weeks ago, in Tucson. Here's Rachel Derry, and the episode that you want to look for to hear her story is episode 30, Gem Legacy, Making a Difference One Gem at a Time, with Roger and Rachel Derry. So then when did Gem Legacy start? Um, I'll, I'll come in on this part, I guess. Uh, so my parents have been um, doing... Uh, visiting East Africa um, for many, many years, of course. My dad's been there 35 times, and on each trip, they're always uh, quick to pull out their wallet and give wherever it was needed. Uh, They always take uh, food whenever they visit a gemstone mine. Uh, They've been supporting the same primary school and orphanage for almost a decade, and uh, the faceting school in Arusha, again, almost a decade, and of course, that's kind of uh, favorite of my dad's because he's a faster himself, so he's excited to see that passion grow around the world. Um, so uh, last year, the team of people who traveled with my parents saw that they were always taking out their wallets and handing out money, and they felt that they should have a ready and available fund uh, for whatever needs that they see arise when they're on the ground so that their hands wouldn't be tied by not having enough to give or to answer whatever need was um, being asked for. So, uh, yeah, they inspired the idea, and uh, we got it formalized this year with the government. So we're a uh, official 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so that happened this summer, and we launched this fall of 2018. Um, and it's really doing what they've been doing uh, for a decade, uh, but we believe that we can make a lot more impact if we're doing it together. So if we call others to do uh, this work with us, then we're going to be able to reach a lot more people mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, really make sure that every gemstone that's mined in East Africa uh, leaves the miner better than they were before. The goal, of really, of our time in Africa is for it to be a foundation for the gemstones. So um, every single gemstone now that we share um, or that is adopted out of uh, Roger's collection comes um, in a way that uh, we can ensure that its uh, path along the supply chain was transparent and not just responsible, ethical, or green, but really that we're holistically uh, lifting up each person along the supply chain. So, mm-hmm. of course, this isn't possible for every gemstone, um, but for we focus on East African gemstones. So for all of those, uh, it means that we can ensure that the the family, and not just the miner, was holistically impacted, mind, body, soul, by um, by the the mining in their in their family and in their community. And I would say we've seen this happen over and over and over again, where mining in a community has totally transformed their economy, but also just their family relationships, their bond as a as a community, and the future future of their next generation. Hmm. That's wonderful. That just makes my heart feel so happy to know that you can look at a stone and know who who found it and where it all started. That's just such a beautiful story. 
I agreed. And, uh, you know, so often, and especially I think in America, we have that immediate gratification. It's so easy for us to just pick up something off the rack or take it out of a case. And um, it's just a tangible item and it's really sparkly and beautiful and makes us feel pretty. But uh, when we look at gemstones, they really are more than just a rock or a mineral. Um, There's people's lives who've been impacted by it. And um, even more than a life, there's multiple families who are fed, sending their kids to school, and dreaming much bigger dreams than they were before gemstones were a part of their life. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a story of the human lives who were impacted by that gemstone that goes into each one. Right, right. So our goal is to make sure that they know what they have, they know what grade it is, they know how to value it, uh, so that they know how to sell it and so that they're not taken advantage of because... Mm-hmm. Um, especially in Malawi, which is a very young country in the gem industry. We see that happen very frequently. Um, and I think an even larger problem is that uh, miners, even if they know what they have, they're not sure where to continue working. So uh, one of my favorite stories happened in May. Uh, we were in Malawi, and we were doing a bush training. So we were at a rhodolite garnet mine. So they're farmers. It's uh, 90% of the country is agricultural. So they're corn farmers, and uh, it's a small village. And so I was, we were sitting down and I thought, oh my, what am I going to tell these people? Like I, they don't need to know how to separate rhodolite garnet from red zircon. That's not helpful to them. They're just miners. So I asked them, what would you like to know about gemstones? And so this gentleman raised his hand and he said, is it true and how is it possible that gemstones form in the sky? So Mm. our team kind of looked at each other and then I think all at the same moment, the light bulb went off that um, they, they, he explained to us that um, they find gems in between their cornrows every time it rains. So, of course, logically, then we come to the conclusion uh, the gems, of course, are in the mountains, and with the erosion, with the rain, they move down into the valley where they're farming, and so they're finding them after each rainstorm in between their, their cornrows. Um, so they came to the conclusion that gems are formed in the sky, and they didn't even know Um, how gems form, and therefore um, how to continue finding them. Talking with Rachel and Roger Derry was probably one of my favorite episodes, not only because I'm a gemologist and have a geology background, and it just thrills me to think of being around anybody who finds the gemstones, but I love how their part of the story comes full circle and kind of sprinkles through the whole industry because they're at the heart of where the jewelry starts, at the mines where the people are finding it. You really need to go back and hear their episode. They have so many other stories that are just fascinating, and it's definitely worth a listen. You can find the gemstones, many of the gemstones that are sourced in East Africa on their trips and from the mines that they are supporting on Roger's website, and that's Roger Dairy Gems. You can also find some designers who are working with the gemstones, and I'll do another episode coming soon, sharing some of those designers and jewelry. Those are all of the guests that I featured today, and I truly enjoy sharing their stories. I'm humbled and honored to have shared their story. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and even to the Jewelry Navigator Passport, which is a newsletter that will keep you up to date of current releases and upcoming stories. 
Thanks so much for hanging in there. I know that this was a long episode, but I really hope you enjoyed it. And I felt like it was a necessary tribute to the women of the industry and to celebrate International Women's Day, which is tomorrow. So thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, cross-check your safety clasps and earring backs. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.